The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com. episode 185 james Kerwin. hey everybody thanks for joining us again um i am bringing back james Kerwin, a writer director mensa member fellow of the royal society of the arts a, a guy who splits his time between quantum realities and directing films it should be a good conversation we haven't talked in a while so i'm going to throw to a commercial real quick and i'll bring james in and introduce him all right, everybody, thanks for listening to our sponsors. It's always appreciated. And right now, let me bring in James Kerwin. What's happening, James? Well, all sorts of stuff's happening. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, sounds like you've been busy as of late. Yes. Yes, I have been. <laughs> we uh, A lot of things have happened since we talked last. We wrapped up Star Trek Continues, did five more episodes, um, uh, three of which I directed, and... Um, uh, working on a new short film right now called When the Train Stops. So, uh, yeah. Okay, well, let me ask you this, because I've seen I've seen your movie uh, yesterday. Yesterday was a lie. Is When the Train Stops as mind-breaking as that one was? <laughs> well, when, <laughs> probably not. Yeah, uh, When the Train Stops is uh, – I did not write When the Train Stops. Um, when the Train Stops was written by a great writer named Bernadette Hale and uh, executive produced by Diana Hale. Um, her sister, actually, and her and Diana's husband is Michael Forrest, the great Michael Forrest who played Apollo in the original series and Star Trek Continues. <clears throat> and um, he stars in When the Train Stops. So it was written by 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 her, um, produced by Lisa Hansel, who is also one of the producers oh, yeah. on Star Trek Continues and makeup supervisor. And um, they brought me on to direct When the Train Stops, although I, I cannot claim credit for writing it. Um, I did direct it, and we are in post-production right now, so I'm in the middle of cutting it. Actually, I just got out of a post-production meeting with Lisa, um, and um, we're, uh, we're finishing it up right now. Hopefully, it will be done within the next few months. Uh, it's a modern film, kind of a Western, but not really, but it's got a cool Twilight Zone kind of twisty element to it as well. So I don't want to give away too much because it's one no, of those no. movies that, like, if you if you if you even talk about like what it's about, you would give stuff away. So, but it's a short. It's uh, going to be about 20 minutes. It's it's a very self-contained story. Like I said, if you like Twilight, if you like Black Mirror, if you like Electric Dream, you know those kind of those kind of anthology um, twist-based series that are out right now. I think you'll really like this film. 
And after seeing your your other long form film, I, I can assume that even just saying what genre or anything it's in is going to start chipping away at whatever you're hiding in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. So you know, James, for those who weren't listening to us two years, I can't believe it's been two years. I, I, yeah. I was sitting here thinking about that before we even got on and started talking ahead of this, and I was like, oh yeah, it was just last summer, and no, it no. was two full years no. ago. Yeah. Well, let's cover this real quick. Your background is pretty. You straddle you straddle two very different worlds, don't you? Between the artistic and the scientific. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that I'm not hugely involved in the scientific community anymore. I do speak at at, at conferences, at science conferences every once in a great while. Um, but yeah, I got my minor degree in astrophysics in in college, and I was actually going to double major in it and film directing um, until I realized I would be in college till I was like 33 and I decided not to do that. Um, but I did get a minor degree in astrophysics and I'm fascinated by it as a discipline and the way it informs the way we look at reality. And a lot of the concepts, I think studying them has, has, have served me well being a science fiction, primarily a science fiction director. Um, so yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> Yeah, just just going down your your quick list, you know, it's like, oh, you know, a degree in filmmaking or you know, direction, whatever it was that it was, and then and then minored in these two scientific fields. Oh wow, okay, but that explains how you get to some of your more uh, topsy turvy kind of stories. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, think absolutely. So. Now, how much how much of your interest in astrophysicist was marijuana based? I just just have to ask. I will be honest with you. I I do not partake. I ah. have not partook. I, I I have a very low tolerance for uh for uh chemical substances. Not so quite all right. I've never I've never really uh, I've never really attempted that to be quite honest with you. Yeah, we so, um I adopt racing greyhounds. And the last one I got, I got her 2 weeks before my dad died back in February and she's she's really I don't even know the proper term. She's very nervous she was a blood donor so she's kept in a cage for five years so our plan was we were going to work with her and then my dad got sick and all that happened and so recently my wife said well why don't we try some of these cbd oil dog treats that deal with anxiety and see if that helps because the regular Uh dog regular dog drugs uh like uh, ace prom you can't use on greyhounds because they are just physiologically a little bit different enough than dogs that they have bad reactions to things Oh, wow. So the other day, my wife was gone, and the package showed up, so I gave the dog's name as Emma, I gave her one, and we're sitting on the couch for about a half an hour watching Star Trek, and the dog looked at me as if to say, hey, what if dog was spelled C-A-T? And uh, (laughs) I've been a little bit nervous about that dog ever since. (laughs) Wow. But, so what's what are these uh, what are these uh, treats you give? Them? Well, so it's it's a standard dog treat, but it's made with uh, CBD oils from a hemp plant. There you go. So right. apparently, there's two different things in marijuana. Uh, a drug that I've steered clear of because I've never had a mellow high in my life. I always end up with a blanket over my head, going, "I know you guys are all Russian spies." After about five minutes. So this is a little bit different, but I don't quite understand the differences as they exist. But apparently it helps with inflammation and a bunch of other things, um, even though the uh, marijuana and marijuana derivative drugs are still being experimented with. We are so far having a good reaction. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's, good. Uh, that's a little something. So then I know the story. We've talked about it before. 
at some point you came to a point in your life, you're like, do I want to figure out parallel universes or do I want to point a camera at stuff? You want to give yeah. us a little idea how you got there and what you did? Well, like I said, you know, I went into college and I wanted to do both and I actually started double majoring. And, you know, the problem is there's such completely different disciplines. They're in completely different colleges at the university that I went to, which means you have to take completely different electives, completely different core curriculum. And then, frankly, in order to be an astrophysicist or a cosmologist, which is what I what I really focused on, um, you know, you got to go to grad school. You got to get your Ph.D. And, and, and between that and also majoring in film directing, like I said, I would have been in college for, for over 10 years, 15 years. And um, I kind of just wanted to get out into the world and start making movies. So expediency um, worked into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, I, I, I did get a minor degree in astrophysics, and I've, I've kept up with advances in that field as much as I possibly can. And so I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah, it's, it is something I like to ponder, but it's, I do it from a very, very distant standpoint. I'm, <laughs> obviously, I'm not trained in anything. I just like to, you know, like read stuff about it. <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a little too heady for to dive into with both feet and nobody's holding your hand, you know. That's correct. Yeah, That's correct. lots of math, that sort of thing. Yeah. There, there, there is, there is, there is a lot of math. There's not as much math in cosmology as there is in strict astrophysics, um, but there still is some, and that has always been something that um, um, I wasn't bad at math. It was just something I was actually quite good at it, but it was something that I just never really liked that much. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think, why I gravitated towards more of the theoretical cosmology side of, of things. Uh, but yeah, there's there is there's plenty of math in it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a bit there. Let's talk a little bit about Star Trek Continues. The last time you and I spoke, yeah, the lawsuit regarding... Axonar, it feels like ancient history now. I don't even think about it anymore. Very ancient history. Yeah. The yeah. lawsuit regarding Axonar was a new thing at the point, and you guys had been clocking along, doing just fine, doing your thing, doing Star Trek Continues, and then you found out that you weren't going to be able to do them anymore, even though you kind of got to get around the end run of what Paramount and C or what CBS had put in place on rules regarding fan films. First off, bring us bring us back up to that point. Kind of what do you remember from that period of time and how are you feeling about it? We didn't miss a beat. To be quite honest with you, it didn't bother us. We weren't concerned by it. Um, the guidelines were guidelines. Um, we had never, ever done anything that CBS didn't want us to do. Um, so there was we had no reason to fear, like, having to suddenly stop or anything like that. Um, we had already done our final um, Indiegogo campaign in which we had raised enough to do uh, through a total of 11 episodes. We were already in prep on those episodes. We had already spent uh, the lion's share of the funding on those episodes, um, building out uh, you know, planet sets and other, some of the other pieces that we needed. We just, we just finished up. We had already planned on finishing up. Um, we had originally wanted to do 13 episodes, although that was not a hard and fast plan. Um, there's a rumor going around that, oh, there's two Star Trek continued scripts sitting around that were never made. That's completely not true. We had tossed around 13 as, as a number um, because a lot of modern television shows have that many episodes per season. Before the, that whole the guidelines or anything even happened, um, our final campaign raised enough to do a total of 11 episodes. And, uh, and, and in part, that was probably because some, some people were afraid to donate because of their money being 
horribly misused um, by by other people. And so so we we already knew we were going to finish at 11 and we finished at 11. Um, we did accelerate our pace, putting out four episodes a year instead of two or three. But we did what we needed to do. We finished telling the story that we wanted to finish telling. And we don't have any regrets about it. That's cool. You know, I still haven't watched the last one just because I'm like, I'm cool not seeing what? it. I'm cool not seeing it end. I'm just like, I, did I saw... you see? Did you see ten, or did you not even see ten? I think I saw ten. You, you saw ten, okay? Yeah. So you didn't. You just didn't see eleven. Yeah, I just didn't All see right. eleven. It's just like oh, it's man. it's on my list. I'll get to it. It's just one of those things. Like I, you know, like right now that episode is still out there for me, right? <laughs> Once I'm done, you know, it's it's yeah. that cat's out of the barn or that ship's already sailed or however that stuff works. I'm not a farmer. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was kind of an ugly time, especially since you guys were doing such a ambitious and grandiose thing and you were spending your money where you were supposed to and not trying to sell coffee. <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm throwing elbows or bitter towards you know, it divided the fan community. I am a little bitter. It really did a nasty thing to the fan community, I thought, too. Not you guys. I'll never, I'll never understand that. I'll never understand how anyone in the Star Trek fan community could possibly be angry at CBS for protecting their own intellectual property. That's absurd to me. You know, CBS was put into a corner in which they had to do what they had to do. They didn't have any other choice. They did what they did not only to protect their own IP, but to protect fans who were giving money away and that was being spent on things that was not what was represented to them. Yeah. Um, they did the right thing. They did what they needed to do. I. It is unfathomable to me how anybody would be opposed to that. Yeah, I, you know? I it just didn't make any sense to me. I had friends of mine lining up against me, telling me that I was stupid for saying it was okay for. Uh, it was just ugly. It, weird. It's I, just I, weird. I know? forgot how much, how angry I got about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it. You know, we were we were very fortunate in that it didn't really affect our plans too much. Yeah. We we other than having to accelerate a little bit, we did what we you know we did what we set out to do. Mm -hmm. CBS was CBS, you know. Um, didn't stop us from finishing the show, which we're very grateful for, and we did it. You know. Yeah. Now you wrote some of those episodes as well, right? Or am I mistaken? Uh, I, I wrote the majority. I wrote or co-wrote the majority of the episodes of Star Trek Continues, yeah. um, and I directed uh, the plurality of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's that yeah, math I did talk direct, again. I directed the final. Um, I uh, since we talked last, I directed three more. I directed seven, and then I directed ten and eleven. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I probably need to go through and rewatch those because it, ha it has been a little while probably since I've seen them. How long ago did you guys wrap up? February of 2017. Yeah, so a year and a half ago already. How yeah, I believe I believe that was when we, I mean, we, we, we kind of like shot things in little chunks and bits and pieces, um, like in blocks, so to speak. Like, so we didn't, we wouldn't shoot like one episode and then go back for another episode. Like we would shoot pieces of different episodes at the same time in order to maximize our donors money, frankly, you know, in order to spend it efficiently and wisely, we would shoot every scene in engineering that we needed for a given few episodes, you know, while we were in engineering. And then we would, you know, so, but if memory served me, it was around that time when we, when we uh, finally got the last of the footage shot. Yeah. Now what's, what's kind of amazed me or, or buoyed my spirit a bit is that you guys that worked on that show together also kind of became a community because you see in stuff that you've done or, Oh, who was the second McCoy? Chuck? 
uh, Chuck no, Huber. Chuck Huber. I almost said Haverkorn. Well, Larry Nemechek was actually the second. He took over after the yes. vignettes just for two episodes oh, when Chuck was away. I, I had um, that out of order. Okay. Yeah, the vignettes, it was always – I mean, Chuck played the role from the beginning. Um, he did the three vignettes, and then when we did episodes one and two – um, that was before I was there, actually. Um, uh, Chuck had a situation that he had to leave for, um, so Larry filled in for a couple episodes until Chuck was available again. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Larry so, was yeah. terribly put out by that request as well. <laughs> he, Larry's a big McCoy fan, yes, so I'm he sure is. he enjoyed yeah. it quite a bit. Yeah, Larry's yeah. a huge McCoy fan. But uh, so, like, Chuck's movie, Arbor Day the Musical, there were appearances yeah. from Star Trek, Continuous People in there, in your uh, RUR short film, RUR Genesis. You got Star Trek Continues people in there. Uh, it's kind of well. Cool. That's how Star Trek Continues. That's how I got involved. RDR Genesis we did before uh, Kipley and I were involved in Star Trek Continues. Oh, yeah. That's how we got involved. Um, Vic asked us to come on board while we were doing RDR Genesis. So yeah. Okay, so that yeah. I did not know. See, that's new information yeah. to me. Apparently, yeah. I didn't do my complete job last time we started. <laughs> So what was, I mean, overall, how would you characterize your, your time on Star Trek Continues? Was it, would you count it as a positive thing, or what are your thoughts? I was miserable. <laughs> Sounds like it. Of course, it was, of course, of course it was great. I mean, it, like, I mean, I, I got to make, I'm not, I got to make TOS episodes, man. I mean, you know, it's like, got to play on the bridge of the Enterprise and, and, and do something that I love to do, which is write and direct, and I got to do it with, Wonderful people, wonderful actors, wonderful people behind the scenes um, who I will always be friends with and uh, who were, were, you know, moved on to do other projects with. You know, When the Train Stops, the film that, you know, we're talking about that I'm working mm-hmm. on now is almost all Star Trek Continues people. And um, so not, not all, but almost all. And so, yeah, it was it was just a is a wonderful experience. And it was great. It was very rewarding as well. I mean, we won a ton of awards. We won the Webby. We won the Geeky. We won multiple tellies and accolades and and um, the, the Burbank uh, a couple of times. So we've been very fortunate in being recognized both critically and by audience members, popular, pop, you know, popularity wise. Um, so it, it just, yeah, it's just, a, it was just a great, a great time. And, uh, I think we all miss it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it was so sad when it ended. It was so sad. If you go to our website or our YouTube channel and you watch the rap videos, I defy you not to cry. It's really, really sad. Um, but, uh, but it was sad when we had to end because, um, when we chose to end really, because we loved it. We loved doing it, you know? So. Would, would you ever work on a fan, fan series or fan film again, you think? You know, I mean, I would never say never. Um, but, I, you know, I honestly didn't – I wasn't very involved in the fan film. I wasn't involved at all, frankly, in the fan mm-hmm. film community before Star Trek and News. I didn't really know anything about it. Uh, uh, you know, initially when Vic uh, – when we were shooting RUR Genesis and Vic said to me, hey, I, you know, I'm doing a fan film. You should watch it. I, I, I mean, I, I must admit – I kind of tacitly swallowed and rolled my eyes like, oh, no, a fan film. I have to watch a fan film. And then I did, and it was wonderful. You know, There are some fan films that have reputations of being rather amateurish production-wise, let's be honest. Absolutely. And, and um, so uh, I was just blown away by the quality of it, and that was really all to Vic's credit because his vision for STC was to not just make a Star Trek fan film but to make a Star Trek fan film that was peopled – in front of and behind the camera by industry professionals. They were all professional actors, all the department heads and above the line crew 
were Hollywood industry professionals. And and that really is, I think, what, what made the show so strong, why we were able to so faithfully replicate that late 60s television vibe. Um, that's not an easy thing to do. And um, and it and it took professionals both in front of behind and behind the camera to do that, who happened to be Star Trek fans who were willing to, to set aside their time, you know, to do this, just to show up and do it for fun. You know, not for money, not for glory, not for anything else, just to do it for fun because it was great to play Star Trek, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, Star Trek continues to raise the bar a little bit. I mean, they kind of took the idea of the fan film and ran, like, ran away with it. They, you guys did something that I don't I don't know if anybody else had even tried it yet. I mean, there were other Star Trek fan films at the time, and you're right. They looked like they were shot with a telephone. The heart was there. You can't question that. But, well, you know, there there are ones that I like. There there are definitely ones that I like. Um, and and I don't. And here's the thing: I don't think that anybody who's making a Star Trek fan film, God bless them. You know, mm-hmm. it's like no matter what your level of production experience is, whether you're a complete amateur, whether you you've been doing directing for twenty years, doesn't matter. Like if you're doing something because you love doing it, because you're paying homage to Star Trek, or whatever, or whatever. Um, franchise you're doing a fan film for, whether it's Doctor Who or Star Wars or whatever, that's or Firefly, like my friend Julian did. You know, that's great. It's 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 great. Don't monetize it. Don't think you're gonna monetize it, and don't build a career out of it because you're not gonna build a career. <laughs> don't think you're going to. Don't try to. Um, and that's ultimately, really, I guess, what it comes down to is that I, you know, would I do one again? Probably not, because you, like I said, you, I mean, you can't make a living doing that. You right. can't build a career doing that. Um, so it was a fun four years. You know, it was a fun four years. And now we're we, you know, almost everybody on the project is 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 doing other productions right now. You know, I mean, we're doing what we love. We're doing what we want to do. We're making we're making films or acting or, or what have you. So. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're one of those like actual working showbiz people. You're not somebody that like makes a movie and then it can take off like the next nine summers in Aruba or something. You're one of those guys that you stay busy and I assume have to stay busy. Otherwise your brain would probably implode. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big vacationer. I don't, uh, I don't like idle time. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't, if couldn't I'm tell not, that if by I'm your, not working on a project. Yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell that by your resume at all. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so let me ask you this: since Star Trek Discovery, I don't even know if it had been announced when you and I spoke last time. Did no, you get a, did... uh, there, a new series had been announced. There were no details yet. Yeah, have you seen it yet? Oh, I love it. Okay, I, I'm absolutely, absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm very, very close friends with one of the actors on it, and I'm, I'm good friends with some of the people behind the scenes on it as well. And I absolutely adore it. I know it's controversial. There are some people who don't like it. But um, I, 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 I enjoy it. I think uh, it brought Star Trek into the age of modern cable television, uh, streaming cable television like Game of Thrones and Westworld and those type of shows. And it needed to compete with those type of shows. It needed to be at that level, um, I think, in order to survive. And um, it's done extremely well. It's done very well financially for both CBS and Netflix. So I'm, I'm super proud of all the people involved in that show. I also understand, mm-hmm. frankly, why people don't – why there are people, including fans, who, who don't like it, um, and that's fine. You know, We don't all have to like every iteration of Star Trek. There is a Star Trek series, which I will not name, that I can't stand, um, but, <laughs> but um, that's okay. You know, it's not uh, – it's not um, – 
we don't have to like every single one of them in order to in order to appreciate Star Trek. You know, that's that's the beauty of it. IDIC, you know. Yeah. So I consider myself a Star Trek fan. But a few years ago, I actually started like doing the math. I'm like, I like Star Trek. I like the next generation. I like the original movies. I don't like Voyager, Deep Space Nine or Enterprise. And then all of a sudden I went, I actually dislike more of it than I like. (laughs) Can I even still call myself a Star Trek fan? (laughs) That's funny. Well, yeah. of course you can. Of course you can. You know? So. Yeah, I just, you know, it was one of those things. I was a bigger Babylon 5 fan during Deep Space Nine, so that's what I watched. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, things happen, you know? You can't stay faithful your whole life. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> What's the deal with the Klingons on that show? You got any insight for me on those? Well, what do you mean by what's the deal with them? Well, are we just, do we assume now that that's what Klingons always look like, or do you, what are your thoughts? Well, that is what Klingons look like. I mean, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Photoshop hair and beards onto those Klingons, they look like just like the, next, the TNG Klingons. <laughs> you know, it's 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 the, the, the reality is, is that they're I really like the fact that they're showing more diversity. Like, look, if, if you take, you know, a human pygmy from the middle of, you know, some aboriginal place from the 1800s and compare them to an Eskimo and compare them to a white European from the 21st century and compare them to, you know, you're going to say those look completely different. Why is it inconceivable that Klingons over the course of thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of years of evolution, who already have an empire that spans multiple different planets, why would they all look the same? I mean, that's frankly something that always bothered me about the previous Star Trek series. Everybody from every alien species looked virtually the same, had the same hairstyle, and had the same clothes. Went to the same and, church, <laughs> had the same set of manners. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right, right. And 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 I love the fact that we're seeing the Klingon high council from this period of time, which we've never seen before. We know that Klingons always had the ridgy bony foreheads and the bony spines and all that kind of stuff. We know why there w- there are some Klingons during this period of time that look human because of the augment virus and mm-hmm. the events of Enterprise. And we also know that there were Klingons not affected by the augment virus who still have that. And it's not in- at all inconceivable to me that the style at this po- particular point in time was to go hairless. I mean, <laughs> there's entire cultures on Earth that go hairless. You know, I mean, it's like there- nothing about that bothers me, I guess, you know. Yeah. And-, and, I- I- and I think that by, by people by you know, picking on it so much. It's just like, well, why are you picking on it? They, they, they don't look that much unlike the Klingons we've already seen. Their style is different. You know, their clothing style is different, and their mannerisms are a little different. But there's nothing that, that nothing about that bothers me. I guess you know. Well, and so, I was gonna say, in guys our age, we already had to do that. Like when we were six or seven, and the motion picture came out, and you're like, wait, hold on, what's this now? That's yeah. what a Klingon <laughs> looks like, and they yeah, just. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's what yeah. they always look like. That's why I had a friend of mine and we're talking one time. I'm like, look, I've already been this through. I've been through this before with Klingons. I'm, if we just accept that that's what they look like, then that's what they look like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I do. I am an Enterprise fan. I, I know you didn't like it, but I, mm-hmm. I do like Enterprise a lot. And I and I do respect Manny Cutto for, for, for explaining that. Well, yeah, um, but he did, he did the last two seasons, though, right? Like when the show yes. actually started yes. to get good yes. finally. 
Yeah, he I, 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 and I respect that because, you know, this is one of the things that Larry Nemechek and I did a lot on Star Trek Continues, because even after he stopped playing McCoy, he, he stayed on as our creative consultant. Mm-hmm. And there were many a nights at two o'clock in the morning where we'd be on the phone with each other trying to figure out like what star system would be here or there or whatever while, while I was writing an episode. And, you know, it, it's the kind of the the inter, you know, people. This is interesting because I got into a debate with some people about this a couple of weeks ago, people saying screw canon people say canon is the greatest thing ever no screw canon forget canon all these arguments about what whether canon is good or canon is bad or whatever here's the thing canon just means the story up to this point what has actually happened in the story up to this point and the beauty of star trek i think the appeal of the franchise everybody says the appeal of the franchise is gene ronberry's idealistic vision of the future well that's part of it but that's not the whole thing. There are plenty of franchises that have idealistic visions of the future that have not lasted for 50 years. The, the other aspect, I think, of Star Trek that is so enduring is the complexity of the details of the world, that, that the world building, because there's so much content. There have been so many series and so many episodes and so many films that they have been able to world build without overt expository world building on all of those details have, for the most part, they've done a very good job at maintaining consistency. So I don't have any problem with people who, quote, nitpick. I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to say, hey, look, why do the Klingons look like that now? Why did they look like this during the Kirk's era? Why is the Delta logo being used on the Discovery uniforms, but not on the Constitution class uniforms at this time? Why are the uniforms a different color? What? All that kind of stuff, if you don't ask those questions, if you just say, oh, it is what it is, it doesn't matter, then, then you lose your suspension of disbelief. In order to really be immersed in this world, I think you do have to ask those questions. And I think they're fun mental exercises as well to like, hey, okay, well, here's how this happened. Here's what happened here. And and that's one thing I like about Discovery is, is that although people are going to say, oh, well, they went off canon here, they really haven't yet. There's really no one thing you can point to that says they've gone off canon. And and I like that about it. And, you know, I've talked with Larry about that a lot as well, and so does he. So um, I, I think there's something to be said for the details, you know, and, You're and explaining absolutely right. the details. Uh, I I would say that I I am I love canon unless it prevents them from telling a good story, which can happen quite easily. If you become a slave just to consistency within the story instead of telling a good story, you end up, well, you know, you end up with the Phantom Menace. Well, but here's the question. Mm-hmm. How can you tell a good story if you break the continuity of the story that's been told up to that point? To well, me, that's a weak writer. Like if I'm writing a book in chapter 12, I can't suddenly contradict something that happened in chapter six simply because it's, quote, a good story. You know, like then it's no longer a good story. Well, like, you, you, nobody's going to invest themselves in a franchise if every few years they just completely contradict themselves. You're absolutely right about that. But let's look at Star Trek and The Next Generation, though. There were total inconsistencies in there as the universe was becoming the universe. You know, Wesley asking Picard, oh, is that before the Klingons joined the Federation? Well, you go to the next few seasons of that show, you know that the Klingons never joined the Federation. There was just that was not consistent with the rest of the universe at that point. Absolutely. Uh, there you're you're right. Yeah. And there will always be there will always be bona fide production errors. Mm-hmm. And I and I think we have to draw a distinction between bona fide production errors 
and yeah, and can, and and James, know, and breaking James, cannon. Yeah, you know? you're probably you're probably sharpening the pencil that I'm writing with right now because that's kind of what I mean. Is like just because some offhanded line that was left in the script stayed in there doesn't mean you can't contradict it later. Because you know, like you were saying, there's plenty of arguments made in a lot of different ways. Yeah, like, right. Well, there, you know, in 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 Casino Royale and the in the Royale mm-hmm. episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, Worf um, reads the uh, the temperature of the planet in in Celsius, and it's below absolute zero. So that's a, now that is a bona fide production error. That was simply yeah. a mistake. It doesn't mean that the, the the temperature scale has been recalibrated in the 23rd century. It was a mistake. Okay. Yeah. You know there 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 are certain things that are simply mistakes that you have to say. Okay, they made it, they, they they screwed up there. Yeah. The writer um, and the fact checker and somebody else yeah, will look at that know, again. Yeah. And and you can but 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 a mistake like that that the writer then later looks at and goes, oops, head you know face palm, I screwed up is different from a conscious choice. You know, if you're making a conscious choice, if, you know, um, if Bill Tice makes a conscious choice to depict every Constitution class vessel as having a different assignment patch, that is not a production error. That is a choice. You know, every Constitution class ship had a different assignment patch. No matter what anybody says, they did. <laughs> you know, and that's that was a that was a choice. That was not a mistake. Um, Worf's line, obviously in the Royale, was a mistake. The Wesley's line in that episode was a mistake. There, and, and you have to be able to discern the difference between those two things, or you're going to go crazy. You know. Yeah, and that's so. you know I, I like to I like to major in the minors a lot when it comes to looking at stuff in a nerdy manner. But I have learned as I get older and as my blood pressure gets higher, I have to just let some shit go. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. I just yeah. I can't get that troubled over it. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I used to have a whole list of pet peeves. You know, Chekhov and the Wrath of Khan. I love all the stories that people came up with though to justify how Khan would recognize mm-hmm. him, like him having right. been, been in the bathroom holding it up. Right. Time Khan, the bathroom story. Yeah, yeah, right. That's one of my right. absolute well, the, favorites. The, 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 the truth is, Chekhov was on the ship at the time. He just wasn't the navigator. Yeah. Who cares? You know, why is that so hard to believe? You know, it's it's um, that you know that's the kind of thing that if people are going to pick on that, that's crazy. Like to me, see, that's the kind of thing that people, some people who don't quite understand what canon means would say, oh, that violated canon. Well, no, it didn't. It really didn't violate canon. It may be a stretch, but yeah. it didn't violate canon, you know? So, anyway. Yeah, that's one of those things. We could like, go on about this for hours. <laughs> oh, for hours, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was arguing with a guy as stupid as this sounds about Sasquatch one time. And I made some off. You know, I'm a pretty skeptical guy, but I really believe that that footage that was shot in 67, there's something to it, I think. I should never tell people that, though, because I find myself in the stupidest conversations after that. <laughs> but somebody was saying something about uh, the skunk apes or something like Florida, Louisiana area, and somebody else like piped in with, well, that couldn't happen. I'm just thinking, because you say so, Jethro? <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> Right, right. Suddenly, you're the Lord and God of this whole conversation. <laughs> you know, it's just because you yeah. didn't see Chekhov in season one doesn't mean he wasn't there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so. so as we start running down on time, I want to talk a little bit about time. All right. All right. So um, I assume you must have some theories or thoughts on time travel or parallel universes and that sort of thing. I, I know you must because you seem like the kind of guy who would. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Let, let me ask you, I'll start with the, the grandfather paradox. Okay. Uh, so I go back in time to shoot my grandfather before mm-hmm. my father is born. But because right. I do that, 
my grandfather was never or my father was never born, so I was never Correct, born. So right. therefore, I right. didn't exist to go back in time and do it. Right, right. Uh, how if somebody goes back in time, or or well, let's start with that. Do you think somebody could ever go back in time? Do you think that's ever going to be something that we discover? It is not outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. The laws of relativity do allow for it. It would take much like warp travel, which the laws of physics also do allow for. It would take an enormous amount of energy to do it, um, but it, there is nothing in the laws of physics that specifically say that cannot happen. And in fact, Einstein, you know, if you if you follow it to the letter, it, it could. Yes, it is possible. It is possible that at some point we will develop time travel. Okay. It, like I said, enormous amount of energy. It's not going to be going into a police box and dematerializing. Right. But it would. It, it is. It would be possible. Yes. But we, when you say an enormous amount of of uh, energy, we're talking like sun's worth of energy, right? Uh, yeah, neutron star worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking like you know, massively dense and you know all that kind of stuff. Um. So, I guess the question would be, do you? If if there were time travelers, there would have to be some here now, right? Wouldn't that be possibly? Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I mean, mean, there wouldn't have to be. Well, I think the laws of averages would put it there, unless something happened to prevent them from being here. And here's where I'm right. going with this: mm-hmm. Would time travel necessitate parallel universes, or would time travel within your own history be a thing, or would you actually have to go into a different universe for it to work? Sure. Just, okay. Right. No, no, absolutely. That's a great question. Just indulge so me here. Yeah. Here, no, that's a great question. And here's what it comes down to. There's two schools of thought in this. Okay. So first of all, there's multi-worlds. Okay. Now, multi-worlds says, like, like you were talking about, um, choices that we make spawn alternate realities. Um, you see this in science fiction all the time. You see this in the Kelvin timeline movies in Star Trek. You see this in the mirror, mirror, mirror universe in Star Trek. You see this all over the place, right? Multiple realities. The multi-worlds model of quantum mechanics was developed by a scientist named Hugh Everett in the early to mid 20th century. Um, at the time, they were, you know, quantum mechanics was in a new, was, was relatively new, and physicists were trying to wrap their minds around concepts like superposition, concepts like Schrödinger's equation, where at any given point in time, a particle does not actually exist. It just simply has a probability of existing. Where is it when it doesn't exist? Where does it go? Things like this. And all of these questions were being asked, and they're still being asked to this day. There's many different models, mathematical models of quantum mechanics that have been proposed to try to explain these things. Um, one of them is the Copenhagen interpretation. Another one is the orchestrated objective reduction interpretation. And one, another one of them is the multi-worlds interpretation. Hugh Everett came up with a multi-worlds interpretation, and when he submitted it to his thesis advisor, John Wheeler, at Berkeley, it was rejected because it makes no sense mathematically. It literally makes no sense. Uh, Schrodinger himself famously said, this could not possibly work. There's insufficient energy to spawn these, these alternate realities, and if they did, they would, quote, smear together, and he showed mathematically how they would do so. Um, the only reason multi-worlds ever took off is because Hugh Everett went on to write a completely different thesis and, and uh, went on and became a famous scientist and then republished his graduate paper once he was very well established. And the concept of multi-worlds took off among science fiction authors. Mm-hmm. In reality, about 5% of physicists ex- 
conclude that multi-worlds are real. It's a very, very small percentage of scientists actually think it's a real thing. Um, Roger Penrose very famously back in the 80s demonstrated, again, that the, the, the energy required to manifest alternate realities beyond a, a fraction of a second would, would, would violate too many laws of physics. Um, so while multi-worlds make for great science fiction, the, the chance that they're a real thing is astronomically small. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, just, because my question with know. that has always been, that means every single decision made by everything, every change of wind creates a yes. billion split-off worlds. Right, right, right. Um, personally, I subscribe to the orchestrated objective reduction model, which was pioneered by Roger Penrose and Stuart Hameroff, which basically says, look, yes, um, uh, bubbles of possibility, so to speak, do emerge at points of choice, but they self-collapse under quantum gravity very quickly, within a fraction of a second. And this happens multiple multiple times per second, every choice you make. And in fact, a lot of this self-collapse, when, when the collapsing is orchestrated, when you yourself are making a choice, those collapses are responsible for moments of consciousness, it happens about 40 times a second. Um, so that they have a really interesting model of human consciousness um, it's stored actually in, in that, that's actually localized kind of within microtubules in the human brain. Um, that that and, 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 and you know there's different interpretations of this and everything. And of course, sure. it hasn't been proven, but it is it is unlike multi-worlds. It is a model of quantum mechanics that is experimentally verifiable or falsifiable. There have been experiments done, some rudimentary experiments done. And the experiments do tend to show that there are actually quantum computations going on in, my, in brain microtubules. So it, it, it is definitely possible. Am I certain it's true? Absolutely not. But um, it's definitely possible. To me, that's a much more likely explanation of quantum mechanics, much more likely model, and even the Copenhagen model is, than multi-worlds. So the short answer to your question is, personally, I don't believe in alternate realities. No. Okay. Well, and that was one so of my that, questions. So that begs the question. Then that begs the question yeah. of what happens if you go back in time and kill your grandfather? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> right. So if time travel is possible, but alternate realities are not, what's the answer? Well, the answer is what's called the Novikov self-consistency principle. There's a Russian scientist named Novikov who figured this out. Um, subatomic particles. There are subatomic particles that do move forward and backwards through time. Antineutrinos, for example, are neutrinos that literally are moving backwards in time. We can do rudimentary experiments with subatomic particles. Uh, and quote-unquote time travel, if you want to look at it that way. And what Novikov figured out, and again, this hasn't been, quote, proven, but, but his whole thesis, and I think it's a very interesting one, is that while time travel is theoretically possible, when you do time travel, you could not change the past because it's already happened. It's basically, if you watch the show Lost, Mm -hmm. It's the lost model of time travel. What happened, happened. <laughs> like, if you go back and try to kill your grandfather, you will not be able to because you already did. You, it did happen. And something stopped you from doing it, you know. So, like, the cops stopped you or you got caught or something happened. So you will not, no matter how hard you try, you would not be able to alter the past if you traveled through time. Okay. That's, that's Novikov's postulate, now, which I how think is really interesting. You know? how, how about this one, that no matter what you do when you try to travel time, Hitler wins? Yeah, that's okay. the point. Yeah. That's, his, that's Novikov's point. Yeah. 
That was that was my, my my crassest way of trying to understand what you were saying. There. Right, right, yeah. right, right. You would not be able to kill him because if you did go back in time to kill him, you already did. That already happened, Jeez. and you clearly you failed. You know. Yeah. So. God, that just it breaks. But my that doesn't make for that, that doesn't make for very good science fiction stories, though. <laughs> so. No, but but the idea <laughs> the idea that you said there, though, like during that brief second. All possibilities are simultaneously, I guess, happening or open to happening or just as likely to happen as not to happen. And then you have a, a moment of consciousness and then your decision's made and everything collapses right. back. That to right. me is a fascinating idea. Yes. Yes. And it's something that we toyed with in Yesterday Was a Lie, not to swing it back around to mm -hmm. self-promotion, but, no, 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 but please in do. Yesterday Was a Lie, there are actually conversations about this that the characters have, that Hoyle and Dudas have, about every choice you make opening up, not just opening up possibilities, but destroying possibilities. And if you watch that movie, I encourage people who, if they've seen the movie and they like it, to really get their hands on the DVD because the commentary track on the DVD that Kipley and Chase and I do is just amazing, I think. Um, not to toot our own horns, but I think it's really – like everybody who's watched the commentary track has been like, oh, thank you for doing that. It, this, the movie makes a lot more sense to me now. Um, and we, we kind of get into some of this this stuff in, in the commentary track. So I'm this is the kind of thing that I'm fascinated with, and again, this is why I – I try to stay in touch, you know, as much as I can. I, I try to stay informed of these advances in science and, and cosmology and quantum mechanics and consciousness studies that are being done. For example, at the University of Arizona, at the Center for Consciousness Studies, and tremendous work being done there, you know. And um, Kipley and I actually got to speak at this consciousness conference there a couple of years ago, and um, about RUR Genesis, in fact. So, um, so yeah, that's that's that. Those are topics that are very near and dear to to my heart and hers as well. Yeah, it it must be uh, a lot of fun conversing with you on a longer form. But sadly, we are just about <laughs> out of time here. All right. I think that's what happened last time was we got onto a topic and then I got confused and then we ran out of time. <laughs> uh, James, if people want to find out more about you or follow you on the on the interwebs, where can they dig you up at? Uh, just go to Facebook, James Kerwin, Twitter, James Kerwin, Instagram is the James Kerwin because somebody already took James Kerwin, um, or go to jameskerwin.com. Hey, those are all easy. That's that's a lesson in branding there for everybody a, paying attention there. Yeah. yeah. StarTrekContinues.com is the is the website for Star Trek Continues. You can see all of our shows there. And WhenTheTrainStops.com is the official website of the new short film that Lisa and I and Michael Forrest and, and Reka and John Delancey's in it and Vic are, are all working on right now. So I encourage people to check that site out as well. Yeah. And also your uh, movie Yesterday Was a Lie is available on demand and on DVD through Amazon. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I bought the DVD. I'm going to have to mail that to you and get an autograph at some point <laughs> or attempt to mail it to you and see what the possibilities uh, <laughs> see, yeah, yeah. quantum entanglements and whatnot. <laughs> James, thank you again for taking the time to do this. Let's try to do it in a year next time instead of two years. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I just I got to like get a calendar or something. Anyhow, everybody else, you can catch us at GeekishCast.com or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GeekishCast. I tweet from at the GeekishCast because somebody else had already taken GeekishCast. And until next time, for James Kerwin and for your host Jeremy here, bye-bye, everybody.